The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to episode 535 with my guest, Mahogany. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod, also the social media handles that you can uh, follow us at. Um, let's jump into some surveys. Oh, I should mention this, uh, this interview with uh, Mahogany was recorded, I want to say, about uh, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, so if there are some, some topics, especially around race, that you're like, why is he not bringing that up? That, uh, that would be uh, the reason. This is from the love survey filled out by Myra, and she writes, I love my son. I love to see when things happen in his life that bring him joy. I never tire of seeing his eyes glow and his little face light up when he's having a good time. Seeing him happy, healthy, and well-loved is something I'm so proud of. To give him the life that I was never able to touch is something I'm forever thankful for. He may never know how many times he's saved my life. I am forever grateful. Thank you for sharing that. And one of the things that, that uh, why I wanted to read that was I hope that you never share with him that you feel that he has saved your life. Because as sweet as that might sound, um, it puts such pressure on that child to be like, oh my God, so her emotional uh, safety is my job. Um, and it sounds like you haven't done that yet but um yeah hopefully to, to any parents out there who feel that that would be a compliment to share with your kid it uh it does a lot more damage than any help you think it might it might do this is an email i got from uh, a woman who's calling herself aim 
And she writes uh, on the subject line, do not believe that we are no longer to go around with nonsensical things. And then she writes uh, simply, I'm saying we're too old to be. So let's do what we want to show me that. I'm a little confused by it. Um, I think what she's saying is show me, prove to me that we are too old. Uh, first of all, I want to say that I instantly felt a connection to you, despite you giving me a grammar headache. Uh, I find the idea of throwing in the towel very sexy, and it sounds like you do as well. Um, how do we prove that we're too old? And it sounds like you want it to be sexual as well. So I'm thinking we find a nice romantic restaurant. Uh, you order the salmon. You ask if it's farm-raised or wild-caught. You ask if it's fresh or not. And then you ask if it's more of an orange color or more of a ruby color. I order the salad. I ask for the dressing on the side and let the waiter know that if there's too much dressing in a salad, it gives me loose stools. We eat our dinner. We make sure that we're done by 5 o'clock so that there's no traffic. The waiter asks if we would like a dessert menu, and we both say at the same time, we do, but we don't, and then we laugh way too hard. And I decide to order something, maybe the fresh berries, and uh, you say, you're so bad, and then you quickly add, bring two forks. And then uh, we wrap things up, we go to the car, we try to fuck, I break my hip, and you frantically search for a payphone. How's that sound? I hope you're listening. I've got to assume that you are a long-time listener because I just get the feeling that you get me. One of our sponsors for today, as always, is the online therapy provider BetterHelp.com. Say it all the time, if you've never tried online therapy, what are you waiting for? I do it from the comfort of my home, specifically my recliner, and uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Uh, love my therapist. I've been doing it for a couple of years. Uh, she's awesome. She's wise, compassionate. I feel very safe sharing all of my stuff with her. So if you are interested in trying online therapy, Go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from the podcast. Then uh, fill out a questionnaire, and if they have a counselor they feel is a good fit for you, they'll match you up with one, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it is your thing and you need to be over 18. And finally, this is from the love survey filled out by Daddies Never Die. And they write, I love the laugh of a child. My dog running up to me as fast as he can and his long hair bouncing. I love waking up to my cat's face in mine. I love feeling my husband's arm wrap around me right before he lets out a sigh and falls asleep. I love touching my husband in a random spot and hearing his small groan of wanting me. 
I love sitting beneath a tree and wondering why each branch decided to go in the direction it did. I love that one. I love knowing that I have a best friend that I truly love. I love the way my stepson says the word sure. I love when my shy stepdaughter puts her face in mine because she doesn't know how to ask for a hug. I love fixing something around my house that most people would hire someone to do. Oh, that is a great one. I love making up silly dance moves with my husband. And I love those days when my schizophrenic son has a good day and I can see a glimpse of the man he was before. I just wanted to get the fuck away from my life. You know, I couldn't have felt any lure. Grief, guilt, shame. Why wasn't I born a girl? There's a switch that gets flipped in my head. I'm supposed to be a girl. I experience being treated like an animal. How can a just God... I have a vomit fetish. ...let humans do this to each other? Help! I fucking flew over the cuckoo's nest. My wife's losing it. I thought it was all about me. I don't know what to do. I would have committed suicide if I could have watched my funeral. A Polaroid I found of my mother um, naked in a dentist chair. And my body doesn't quite... I think I did eight days in L.A. County Jail. ...fit how I see myself. What was it all for? Why are my friends dead? Everything that I did, there's a comfort in the scars for me, was in service of OCD. You've already had all the paper cuts. Step away from the paper. It's really hard to see the picture when you're inside the frame. You know, it takes a larger view to see your life. Just actually have somebody listen to you. Yeah. And I got up and got my tooth and left. I'm here with Mahogany. We're gonna uh, withhold her last name so she can speak more, more mm-hmm. freely. Um, I met you doing somebody else's podcast, mm-hmm. and after we finished recording, you said some really nice things, and you struck me as somebody who is a very emotionally kind of open and introspective person. And I thought, uh, let's see if she'd be interested in being on the podcast. And you said yes. So I know almost nothing about you other than you're (laughs) comfortable talking about emotions. You're young, you're African-American, you're female, and you love dogs. (laughs) Take it from there. Yes. Hi, my name is Mahogany. And it's funny that you say that I'm like emotionally open because that's something that I feel like for the longest time I really struggled with. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of something new in this like new birth of a life that I'm living right now since I've moved here where I'm allowing myself to feel my emotions and not deny myself of them. So, and even before that, I feel like and I was how, kind and of... how old are you again? I'm 22. 22, okay. Yeah, but <laughs> right, so young. And I'm like... And you're originally emotions. from the East Coast? Yes, a military kid. My dad traveled or we always were stationed around the East Coast, so... Mm-hmm. Um, moving out west was kind of my big adventure as my 20s, 20-year-old self would do with three, two friends. Were your parents yeah. opposed to you coming out here? Or did it help that you were coming with friends? Well, honestly, I'm I'm a very strong-minded person. So it was kind of like I'm moving to California. Yeah, and you're 22 or Yeah, so it's like they were. can't really, you know, and... They had worries and fears, but I think that I proved to them that it was time for me to go and that they could trust and know not to worry. Mm -hmm. And before I left, my dad said something to me that's like, I guess I, I will already say that this was a happy moment that I remembered is he told me that because we're religious. He's a, um, a pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm a preacher's kid. 
And he told me that God told him, and like when he was praying, talking with Jesus, that he needed to let go of all worries and doubts and anything concerning me and my life. And that he, God, was my true father and that he had me and my dad had to trust me. And so that was, I guess, big for him to hear that through the spirit because it allowed him to let go and like not be like, well, you're moving out to California and this is what you do when you're here. And this is what you do when you're there. How are you going to be across the country? You know? So that was beautiful for me. And what did, what very, did, was there an emotion behind him sharing that with you? Um, just because I, I had a, for the last, like, well, honestly, I've struggled with... On his with, part and your part. Was yeah, on an, both was parts. Was it in an emotional yes, moment? There, there, it was emotional because for the last, like, 11 years, I've been struggling with depression. And he has been involved with it and, like, seeing it firsthand, like, for maybe, like, the last four years. And it was very scary for them. And, like, things that I went through, they always were worried about what was going to happen to me and that like me moving from 20 minutes away from them to miles and miles and miles away from them it was kind of just like immediately there weren't like of course their parents they want the best for you but it wasn't like um it was more like, well, you're going to go out there and weed is legal and you smoke weed and you're going to be smoking weed all the time. And that's a gateway drug. And you like to drink and there's people going to give you alcohol and you're a pretty girl. And it wasn't like, well, we know that you have these dreams and these aspirations and that you've been working so hard to change, you know, the kind of person you are and to get to those dreams and make it happen. That was, you know, not primary, you know, I guess it was probably mixed into their first thoughts, but their immediate thing is, are you going to be cracked out on <laughs> drugs in six months after going to California? Like, you know? Yeah. So did, did your parents, when the uh, the depression initially surfaced, mm -hmm. did your parents do the pray it away, let Jesus take it away kind of uh, mistake that a lot of religious people, they sadly... Yeah, it was more like, um, and as soon as you told me we were going to do this, I wanted to talk about this because I think it's so important that it's out there. And I just told my parents, I asked my parents to apologize for taking my depression about this way. But um, like I said, my dad was in the military, so he was deployed a lot up until I was 13 years old. So it was really just me, my mom and my brother. And so when I first became depressed, it was it fell onto my mom. And for me to even say that it fell onto my mom is fucked, you know, because Why? I feel like depression isn't something sh I shouldn't have felt like that's a burden that fell onto someone that should have just good. been dealt with, you know. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was really like, you don't you're not depressed. We're black. We don't do that. And I was cutting. So it was more like we're black. We don't cut ourselves. Why are you cutting yourself? Were you hiding your cutting? I was. I was hiding it for a little bit. And my mom saw it in church. And so, well, the first time she saw it was when I was like in the eighth grade. And we had an agreement together that I wouldn't do it. And she was like, why are you doing this? And I was like, well, I'm sad. And she's like, why are you sad? You have this. We give you this and this. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm 13. Like, I'm sad. <laughs> like, you, you, should know? Said, you should have said, 
just turn on the TV <laughs> for, for right. a minute. Honestly, yeah. and that when and it was literally when I was 15, that's when I realized like that could be my response. Do you see the world around us? Like right. what's going are on? Are you paying attention? Are, are you paying attention? And what's happening? And what? I'm stuck in this? And, and even if life is great, sometimes depression yeah. is just there. Right. And waiting for a reason why you're depressed to give exactly. yourself the compassion to process right. whatever it is or to treat it or mm-hmm. go take a nap or whatever right. it, it's so hugely important to validate mm-hmm. exactly. that you're not feeling your best right that, you know and I, I didn't feel like that i could validate that without feeling like i don't want to say judge but just like completely misunderstood i remember always being like if i tell her this i'm gonna it's selfish of me to feel like this because my, I look at other people's lives and it's like, well, why am I sad? You know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's how I, I, my mom kind of made me feel for a very long time. And it was always like, why are you laying in the bed with the lights off listening to this? Like, get up. You know, like, the, the, you can't do this. And I'm like, do what? So many people mistake clinical depression for a bad attitude yeah and and it's there's a there's a thing i I always say that thinking you understand clinical depression because you've experienced sadness yeah situational sadness is Mm -hmm. like thinking you know italy because you've eaten at the olive garden (laughs) right it's not in comparison at all it's really it's really not but it's in in some ways i I can't blame the people. You don't know what you don't know. Right. And that's what, and she, sorry, excuse me. She apologized and she did say like. And that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. It is. And it was beautiful. I was, I was so thankful that I was at a point where I could openly say, this is how you affected me and my depression. And she and my dad both were like, we were scared for you. And we never experienced anything like that. So we didn't know what to do. That's how we reacted. I didn't want to lose you. And I was just like, thank you mm-hmm. for telling me that. Yeah. And, you know, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but just know it could have been different, you know? So, so and they understood wh- that. What was the happy moment that, that your dad said, sharing yeah, that? Yeah, when about he shared that. that and just recently I went back to South Carolina and South Carolina for a very long time was my prison. It was the place I was going in circles, the place that my demons, I met my demons and the place that. Can you be more specific? Just like I was very like I graduated at Blythewood in South Carolina, Blythewood High School, South Carolina, 2015. And I was supposed to immediately move and go to Florida. I ended up staying in South Carolina just because things just don't always work out how you want them to. Right. And then honestly, I got comfortable because I had a job that was paying me paycheck to paycheck. I had an apartment and then friends, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just comfortable with the money and stuff. So I ended and it's up. It's also singing. kind of exciting when when you're not having to go to school anymore. Yeah. And you have all that energy right. and your overhead isn't mm-hmm. that much. And it's like, well, you know, let's party or right, let's exactly. do whatever. I got this little bit of money. I was serving. I had alcohol, you know, like that's all that mattered. And so is your dad a Baptist? Minister? He's um, he was a chaplain, like in the military. So, okay. but, but uh, what denomination? Well, no, but he, he is Baptist. Okay. So he's an, anti-drinking. 
He doesn't drink now, right. but um, and we didn't have alcohol in the house growing up. Okay. So, but he doesn't like look down on my brother and I now. I got you. And so you know, he's my a mom, new Baptist. Yeah, he's he's um progressive. Yeah, Baptist. we'll say he's open. Right, but. So no, 2015, I was just extremely depressed. Um, I graduated high school and I got kicked out of my house a month later, um, because I had finally stood up for myself with my parents. I felt like I was a puppet for them for mm -hmm. 18 years and I had a problem with how they were treating me once I was, you know, how every 18 year old feels. But right. for me, I felt like, okay, enough is enough. Like I, I always submitted to them. Always, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, sir. I'm wrong. You're right, no matter what. And you, would you say literally, yes, ma'am, no, sir? Yes. Like, really? Oh, yeah. because he's military, and and I would get in trouble if I didn't. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So wow. it was like a that was how I was raised. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Wow. Yeah. And so you know, like they they were strict but open, but. And there was like a lot of lessons they tried to teach us. I mean, they did teach us, but in kind of like a military manner, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And I just got to a point where I was like, I, I can't, I don't, I feel like I respect you guys enough. And I'm at a point where you should respect me at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, we kind of got in a, a disagreement and. My dad kicked me out, told me to get my shit and get out. I did. And um, I came back the did next you, day. Did you say, yes, sir, I'm getting no, my I shit? No, I just left. That was the that was my moment. I was like, oh, get my shit and get out. I got my shit and get out. I stood up and walked out the room. He's like, come back. I'm like, no, no, you told Too me late. to leave. I'm out of here. You just said the words and I'm out. And I was very like... uh I guess prideful at the time. So like it all, all it took is for you to tell me to leave and me to say, yes, not, nothing's going back. I'm were, out. Were you, you know? kind of happy that he said, get out? Cause it was, I was it was, a, it was an hurt excuse and for you. happy at the same time. Yeah. But like, I, I just, I didn't want it to be like that. You not know? on those terms, not on those terms. And just, I just wasn't mentally even there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I ended up leaving. I stayed with a friend for three months until I moved into my first apartment with the roommate who turned out to be the devil. God bless her soul. But during the, that time, I was just heavy into like Xanax. I was addicted to Vyvanse. I was like every morning waking up, taking a Vyvanse at five o'clock, taking a half of Xanax, then getting off of work, taking the other half of Xanax and drinking on top of it, mm. blacking out like, every night. I got to a point where I and I had just got my heart broken. I'm having sex with just like randoms like all the time. I was literally like, I want to kill myself without killing myself. I remember mm. one day I, I literally sat on the balcony and was like, I'm going to do everything I can do to kill myself without actually sitting in a garage with the clothes and killing myself. And it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. And I think I heard you say like there was a time that you prayed to God like, don't wake me up tomorrow, please. Like so many nights I was like, God, 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 please. Like how many Xanax do I have to take? Like, I mean, I was doing some crazy stuff and it's really a surprise. It's a blessing that I'm here right now because yeah. obviously like it's for a reason. But that is that was 2015, 2016. 
an alcoholic, pretty much. Straight alcoholism, drinking every single night, rum drinks, like... Is that still Hard an liquor. issue for you? No, actually, I recently stopped drinking in like last December. Not, I, I still drink sometimes, but not like that. Okay, at all. Like, if you, it could, was bad. If you could go back to that time when you were on the balcony mm-hmm. and you just wanted out, mm-hmm. um, what would you say to your younger self? I would, you know. See, this is what I'm trying to, I'm kind of figuring out all those answers right now. Like, mm-hmm. what would I say to my younger and self? And would you just give your younger self a hug? I would probably just tell listen. her sorry. Yeah. I'd be like, sorry f- that I allowed you to be so weak to the world and so like numb to yourself and your own needs and your wants and your voice. Like, I sh- I I would just say sorry to her. Like I don't I don't know why I thought that that was the option like, to sit in my pain like that and not do anything about it when I had like the opportunity to. Like I didn't have to do that. I could I had job, I had a job, I had money, I had stuff that I wanted. I could have had a boyfriend, you but, know. But that doesn't cure but pain. None of that cures pain. It doesn't. And I would just tell her sorry for not loving herself because that has been the answer is to love myself and to listen. And how would younger you have responded when the older you said that? I do love myself. And I would be like, no, you don't look what you're doing. Look who you're letting in your Aura, like, look what you're doing to your body. Like, I wasn't eating, I wasn't showering. Like, wow, you were seriously depressed. I was so bad. I was so, so bad for very, 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 very long time. If you could have found the words to say what was going on inside you, then what would you have said? I I felt like there was like a, I know, I didn't feel like a real person. I felt like I died at 12 and that there was some form of simulation that was built to like be put in place so that the people around me weren't fucked because I died at 12. And then that simulation somehow got a heart and started feeling again. And now that person was dying again too. And remembering the death of the 12 year old. Holy shit. Yeah. That's some deep. (laughs) Yeah. That's some deep. I was just, I felt like, and I just, it was like constant like thoughts about how I was just on auto mode because I couldn't feel anything, mm-hmm. and but I could feel everything. Isn't that funny how you can feel everything and but nothing? nothing. And w- it's like almost like you just, the only thing you feel is the sadness and the dread yeah. and the being tired, but you right. can't feel the joy or the birds chirping or At the all. taste of f- food. At all. Food. Yeah. I, I I love food now. I was right. not eating. Oh my gosh. So how'd you how'd you start loving yourself? How'd you get out of oh, this? Oh, it was spiral? a journey. Yeah. So that was 2015, 2015 to literally 2018. Terrible three years. Depressed, alcoholic, nymphomaniac, disrespecting myself, just 
just terrible. I I had about like five images floating around South Carolina. They were all my demons. And some some people thought I was this crazy, drunk slut. Some people thought I was a nice angel because I worked with kids. So I had that image that I had to uphold to. Some people thought I was like a druggie because they knew the Zanbo. Like, and then I'm thinking like, who? Which one of these are me? I'm driving home one day and it's like my breaking point. I'm like, what, who, what's going on? Why are, why are there so many mahoganies here? And none of them, I don't even relate to any of them. And that's when I was like, I, cause it was like, I went from me being really, really chronically depressed. And then I covered it all up with being addicted to alcohol and weed. Then I covered all that up with partying and going out with clubs and ignoring everything. Mm-hmm. And also I had like four jobs. So I was like working like crazy. And I like, I went down to two jobs and then stopped partying a little bit. And I s- slowly remembered my depression mm-hmm. was still there. It was like, Hey, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're still living here. That's why you're drunk every night. Remember me? You know, that's why you're crying yourself to sleep. We're here. And so that's when I my breakdown started to come back around. But then on top of that, it was like a breakdown plus an identity identity crisis. Mm -hmm. And then on top of the identity crisis, it was, oh, my gosh, my dreams. I forgot all about them. What the fuck am I doing? And so I literally like. The only thing I had never done with my depression, and this sounds crazy because I told you I'm a preacher's kid, but you have to take religion when you need religion and when you want it. This was the time that I wanted it. And that was the time I was so vulnerable that I was like, God, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I have been thinking about killing myself for the last two weeks straight, every single day for longer than an hour. I can't do this anymore. I hate myself. I hate my job. I love kids, but I hate my job. I hate my life that I'm living for everyone else. Cause I, and I was playing this superwoman role too, because at 22, I was taking care of my 17 year old cousin and her baby. And before that, her siblings, I was just doing all this stuff except for focusing on me and doing what I should have been doing. And so I was like, God, take take over do what take the wheel god like and honestly when i first said it i was like okay let's see what this is gonna do but whoa did it do something honestly like and it wasn't like oh i'm all holy now but like god put a mirror in front of my face and was like look i'm about to change your life but look at what you have done look at what you have to forget look at what you just went through because i'm about to take you up here and that mirror was like a portal to the darkest fucking place I've ever seen in my life. And it was my life. It was myself. Talk about, talk about, that. you know, it was, I just saw my destruction. I saw my insecurity. I saw my hate for myself. I saw my alcoholism. I saw, I was a functioning addict. Mm-hmm. I saw how I was lying to people. How I was making up stuff to, cover up my pain to make myself believe these stories that weren't even true. Mm. I saw myself failing myself 
in my dreams. I let go of all of my dreams. And I saw that it wasn't people being mean or there wasn't fuck boys, but it was me allowing people to disrespect me. Mm. It was me allowing friends to walk all over me. It was me allowing family to take advantage of me. It was me. Everything. All my darkness was me. And it it hit like I want to say this is like May that started the breakdown every month after that of this I, year of last year oh, okay every month after that something else drastic happened so at first I was just like extremely really depressed but for the first time I was going through this like extreme breakdown I felt light inside of me for some reason Isn't that awesome it's amazing the, the, the tears at the bottom are so uh, lifting. Yeah. And, I mean, it's bit by bit oftentimes, mm-hmm. but sometimes there will be just a snotty cry mm-hmm. that brings you to a place that you didn't think you'd ever feel again. Right. Even if it's only temporary. Exactly. It at least feels like, okay, Hope. I'm moving back up out of the hole. Exactly. And I, I felt like I was moving up. And I, as I was moving up, I was like planting layers of soil and I'm like, okay, I'm crying. I'm planting this, but this is a seed right here and I'm going to keep planting and I'm keep crying, but I'm building I'm out of the hole, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, during this journey, I, I end up quitting my job of like a year and a half. There goes like all my finances. I have no savings account. And this is here in LA or back that was home? in South Carolina. Okay. And I was like, I don't care. I don't know what I'm going to do. God, God said he got it, you know, broke my lease, my credit. That sucks. God said he got it. I'm leaving. I'm letting go of all these ties. I'm done. I don't care what people are saying. How are you going to make money? What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm about to go talk to myself in the woods somewhere because I need answers within myself with God. And that's honestly what I did. I went and traveled. I ended up working at a hostel for like, 10 days and it happened to just be somewhere where there was trees and a lady from France who just I talked to every day and she just gave me books about being a woman and just encouraged me and, and that like, you can remember in particular that Tuta that, that, oh that was her name books? Tuta yeah. uh, one of the books called Woman Who Runs With The Wolves and I actually listened to it three times as we were driving to LA and it it confirmed a lot of like things that I have felt as a child, like kind of like being the black sheep of the family and just feeling like you need to release the wolf inside you as a a woman. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like things that were coincidences, but not coincidence coincidences. It was things that once I let go and gave to God and, just walked in the journey that he was telling me to walk in. I was meeting these people who were just elevating me and teaching me things that I needed to be taught and like showing me how to meditate and relieve my emotions and just showing me not to doubt myself, you know, and just learning a lot of lessons, just letting go. Letting, letting go can be such an amazing source of mm-hmm. strength and focus and, yeah. and yet 
so often it seems like it's the very opposite of what we we should be doing. Yeah. Like we're trying to hold on tighter and tighter because Mm -hmm. things are falling apart. Right. There's a a saying in recovery that I loved, which is let go or get dragged. Mm, I like that. That, That's isn't that great? And and I while I'm not a religious person, I do believe that there is something, some force in Mm -hmm. the universe that Mm -hmm. that is benevolent and comforting and knows me better than I could ever know myself. And if I can get out of the way and and just through principled action every day, Mm -hmm. or at least trying to engage in principled action, it just leaves these little breadcrumbs for a beautiful life that that's the pathway exactly to me that's amazing that's that's what spirituality is for me is is just bringing principles into your life Mm -hmm. and then the universe kind of loving you back some people would call it karma you know whatever but whatever gets you into that that place because i believe Mm -hmm. it on a scientific level Mm -hmm. um and when I hear somebody talking about uh, Jesus or the Bible or mm-hmm. you know whatever their mm-hmm. religion is, I, I feel a, a, a kindred spirit to them because I feel like it, we just have different names for the for the same thing. Right, and yeah. that is actually all it is, really. Because I mean, for me, God is the universe. So someone might say the universe, and even I kind of refer to God sometimes as the universe, but. Mm-hmm. No, it is. It's all in spirituality. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that it's really helped me. And so that's what I was going to tell you. That was my happy moment was when I went back to South Carolina recently just to visit family. And we pulled onto the highway that I used to always just drive home on just depressed as hell. Mm-hmm. I felt free. Finally. The feel I felt the feeling that I had been yearning to feel for like the last five years. And I just cried. The happiest tears I have ever cried. Like I was like, I and you know, like who I mean, I, I'm gonna speak in an atmosphere, people will know my name, but right now, like, no one knows my name. You know, no one knows who mahogany is. No but I felt like I made it. When I pulled onto that highway and I was like I no longer am a prisoner to this town. I feel okay with being here. I don't have anxiety riding on a highway. Like, right. You. It, it sounds like you got in touch with the authentic you. I did. And, and that kind of... And I love her. She's awesome. And I'm yeah. like, why? I'm sorry it took me this long. <laughs> like, I, I don't know many people who instantly find their authentic selves. Yeah. And I think some of the most profoundly beautiful moments are when we do get to experience finding what we like Mm -hmm. who we like Mm -hmm. um embracing our shortcomings Mm -hmm. letting go of the idea that we have to be everything to everybody right and all of a sudden those these weights lift it it it's it's almost more satisfying than if we had gotten that early on because, right. we, you know, you can't appreciate the, the mountaintop if you <laughs> haven't been in the valley. Exactly. You really can't. And to become comfortable in, like, your solitude, that really does help you appreciate everything. Yeah. And when I first got out here, it was kind of like, at first, I think I had an expectation to just instantly be happy because it's such a change and I got out here and I was like ready not ready but just like 
wow, I'm in L.A. Mm-hmm. You know how anyone thinks. But it actually took me some. I was still really depressed when I got out here, like really, really sad. And it took me time. Like I had to honestly, I wasn't speaking to like my roommates for like a few weeks. I wasn't eating again. But during that time, it was just because like I felt like I wanted to fast to hear something within myself again while I was in the environment that I thought that I felt the most myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and I learned more and more things about myself, like, and who I am and what I like and what I don't like. Share some of of those. Like, I don't like drinking (laughs) really anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't like going to parties with random people that have nothing to say. I hate the club and I was always in the club. The for small some talk and the Yeah. It's why was I there? All about what you look like. All about and what you look how like. How powerful you are. Right. My unpopular opinion is I fucking hate Instagram. I love how, you know, cool it connects people, but people were connecting years ago. Instagram is not life. And I feel like that was just like an example of something that I feel like I made myself feel bad about. Like I was like, I don't like this, but I was so adamant about being active on there and still doing it and pushing myself to do that. But when I realized that's not me and I'm being me and I'm not going to disappear if I'm not on Instagram, if I'm not on there and I'm like, okay, cool. Like I don't have to post on Instagram cool i'm gonna take this walk and i'm gonna eat this sandwich without taking a picture of it people will survive you know (laughs) like and so just it's been a beautiful journey learning about myself and falling in love with myself and just realize when you realize that you were insecure and then you look in the mirror and you're like wow i'm actually beautiful that's a happy moment yeah that's a happy moment right there when you genuinely see yourself different for the mm-hmm. first time in years that's a happy moment for me it's it's amazing how when we're in a good spiritual place how different our reflection looks it's so scary it's yeah. like kind of it's really scary how everything looks different mm-hmm. when you're in a better place spiritually and this is kind of like totally random but it just keeps popping in my mind to bring up but i know you're telling me that um um or telling ryan them that you had tried meds and Mm -hmm. those work for you and i feel like my meds is like the bible and like being spiritual because i did try actually i think it was what is it not um what's the other one There's so many. Ooh. We could be we could be yeah, here for forever. five days. I did. I was prescribed one, and I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna do this." Mirtazapine? No, I think it does start R. Yeah, but and this was one of the years where my parents were really scared, and my dad was like, "Please go see my doctor," mm-hmm. and he even was like, "Yeah, you need to change your life." And um, I was taking some meds, and I genuinely saw myself slitting my throat with a knife like visually and i had always had thoughts of suicide before but never that vivid like that after like, you started taking the meds after i started taking the yeah, medication it sounds like that was not a good fit <laughs> it was not a good fit at all like i was like okay i don't think i can do that physically but i had planned this whole thing out i was like i'm running away yeah. i'm leaving i told my parents bye i was like i don't know where i'm going i'm about to be a nomad i'm gonna drive and i went 
to Florida and then I went to see a friend in Savannah and she was like, Mo, you're happy. Let's go get a tattoo. Like, stop. Mm. And like, she's like my angel because we went and got a tattoo and I was like, you're right. I'm going to go home and stop taking this medicine and just figure out my life a natural way, which turned into alcoholism. But (laughs) now I'm out of it completely. And um, that's good. But that was my thoughts on the medication. When your mom said uh, you revealed that you uh, had depression and your mom said, uh, we're black, we don't do that. Talk more about that. So it was kind of more like, um, like, so when I cut myself, it was like, we don't do that. Oh, that's what she she was talking about. Yeah, like, we don't do that. Like, and I was like, this is what people do when they're sad. Like, this is what I did because I'm sad. And she was like, we don't do that. Like, we can't afford. No, like, the color. Black people don't do that. We got too much on our plate. No, just like, as a race, we don't do that. Like, just kind of just completely dismissing my feelings, my pain, like, the situation. And and the fact that black people do cut themselves. Yeah, and I'm like, we're... I'm sorry, you haven't seen anyone. And it it really wasn't even just her. Like, even my cousins, like, and family members, I would be like, oh, I'm sad. Or, like, I would still, to this day, my cousin who used to live with me, I would tell her, if we stayed in that apartment last year, you would have walked in my room and I'd be dead in my bed. And she'd be like, don't say that. Like, you don't mean that. And I'm like, yeah, I do. You don't understand. I was not okay. And she was like, but they they brush it off, you know, and mm-hmm. I I I do think like kind of as a African American race, like we have a lot, you kind of your life already not a lot on our plate, but it's always like you need to be acting right because you can get shot, and you need to be doing this because someone's going to think you you're stealing or you're up to no good, mm-hmm. and you need to be carrying yourself this way because you need to be getting into college. You need to do this because you don't have the same opportunities as them. You need to look like that because they might judge you if you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, we don't have time to be depressed. <laughs> we don't have time to show our emotions. We're hiding from the world, <laughs> you yeah. know? I was listening to an interview on uh, uh, Mark Maron. He was interviewing uh, Phoebe Robinson, mm-hmm. and she was uh, talking about not having the option of being the angry black woman. And, yeah. you know, she was talking about um, being uh, in first class on an mm-hmm. airplane and, uh, you know, going through the... A security line for mm-hmm. first class and like two or three people in a row saying you know you you're you're in the wrong line before right. even looking at her ticket yeah and she's like i you know i i have to choose to not let my anger out right. in that moment and to mm-hmm. not take their ignorance or their prejudice yeah. personally mm-hmm. and that must i don't i can't imagine what that's like i'm as privileged yeah. probably as privileged can be <laughs> in terms of you know globally and right. gender and mm-hmm. race and everything um but that must be exhausting it, when you've got a battle on top of that right. and you're like I, I i can't go off on this on this person cuz yeah. then i'm that and and, and my then race, i'm getting the cops called you know <laughs> and you i'm feel, in trouble <laughs> And maybe, I don't know, do you ever feel an obligation like, you know, my race to move forward, mm-hmm. um, in, in the eyes of you know, the people in power? Yeah. I, I would be doing them a disservice by mm. just letting my 
you know, my anger out right here. Is, is that something that, that you experience sometimes or you just say, fuck that when I, when I'm angry, I'm going to go off on somebody and I don't give a shit about the greater scheme of things and whether or not it perpetuates, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I genuinely never really give them the time of day just because I feel as though I know it's usually ignorance. And yes. so I don't have the energy to even deal with it. And it is exhausting and just kind of being stereotyped immediately, you know. Yeah, can you can you someone. give us some some examples in your just life? One of, one of my favorite <laughs> stories to tell is when I was in high school and I was sharing with some friends that I lived in Germany and we did some traveling there and this boy was like, "Well, how did you live in Germany? And I was like, well, my dad, he's in the military. We moved over there. And he was like, oh, I don't believe you. That's not true. And I'm like, what do you mean? And this was a white, a white, this is a white boy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, my dad's in the military. Like we lived in Germany. Da, 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 da. And he's like, well, I don't believe you because you're black and you don't have a dad. And I was like, oh, what? Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. It, was this a friend of yours? This is like this? a classmate. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm pretty sure probably the same month, one of his friends was judging all the girls, like rating them on their looks in the class. And I asked to be rated and I couldn't be because I was black and he thought black girls were ugly. Didn't want to hurt my feelings. So he couldn't rate me. So those, I got hit more with those kind of, you know, issues and just kind of, People like seeming like they were grossed out by me because I was black, which kind (laughs) of sucks. But since it happened so much, I just kind of grew to not let it affect me. You know, did you have a group of peers that understood you and understood these things Um, that you experienced and how it made you feel? Or were you feeling? No, I was raised around predominantly white people just in being in military a military brat like that's the towns we lived in Mm. all white and so like it was more like um i was the oreo so they would categorize me as an oreo take me away from an african-american make me an oreo which is white but black on the outside and that kind of allowed them to be racist i guess and like say things and be like oh well you're an oreo you're you're not offended by that or you're white like you're like you're much... like you're one of us yeah and so like it was no they didn't accept that's not accepting me for me you know right. but um we were kids and you know you what what are you gonna do you know and i i remember having a friend tell me once she was like i didn't realize how hard it was to be a black girl and i was like wow <laughs> thanks yeah it's kind of it was a white girl and it was a white girl yeah. and i was like well didn't seem that bad until you said it like that but thanks cool what did, what did that feel like when she said that i was just like damn so it must be amazing to not be a black girl huh what am i missing out on and one of the worst moments like one of the worst things that i have ever experienced is I was like on Twitter and it was 4th of July and one of the guys that goes to our school, he saying, he tweeted, happy 4th of July, national hang a nigger day. And I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. 
and this is like a white guy that I have like as a cute white guy I have a crush on him like mutual friends like we go to Young Life together which is like you know God group and right. stuff and that's what I read and I'm and he, like, a public post on Twitter a public post on Twitter did were there any repercussions of him tweeting mm, that did anybody I, we had like and this is a school of predominantly white people. So like the one mixed guy that was friends with him, close friends with him was like, bro, this isn't cool. But like, that's how they were there. And that was Yorktown, Virginia for you. So that was that. Wow. Yeah. So it was issues like that kind of been making me kind of like, um, like, what is it called? Uh, obs- not an obsession, but like, Oh, a fetish? A fetish. Yeah, it was always a fetish. Like, oh, I've never slept with a black girl. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? I'm right. just a girl with a vagina. And like, I would, when I was like in a bad, a vulnerable place, those are the kind of people that I would still allow into my life. Mm-hmm. You know, not completely respecting me, you right. know, and just not valuing me as a human and that uh, had to have contributed to your feeling inauthentic and the depression and like exactly and just um, even i mean and i understand why my dad told me this at a young age but they my parents would say things like you know like your friends their parents might not like you and i'm like you know little black Mm -hmm. mo why what do you mean they're not gonna like me i'm really nice well you're also not white and that's how some families are like those are the things that i was told and i'm just like but i love white people and i love white guys i mean you're telling me they don't like me because i'm black they wouldn't you know Mm -hmm. i've even had a friend told me mo they would fuck you but they wouldn't take you home because you're black like so Wow. Maybe that's why I'm in, I was insecure for a very long time and not knowing it just because I kind of brushed those things yeah. away. And I'm just like, oh, oh, okay. You know, it's funny sometimes how something we don't necessarily feel it dramatically, mm-hmm. but it sinks in. Yeah. An offhand comment that sometimes, you know, till you're maybe in therapy years later and it mm-hmm. comes up, you suddenly realize that it might have had a deep a effect on impact. you. And of course, what you just shared is fucking awful. And how, <laughs> yeah. how could that not oh, a- you a- affect listen somebody? Listen to this story. My dear old um, guidance counselor, my sophomore year in high school, she told me, she's asking me like, what colleges I want to go to. I wanted to go to University of Texas. That was like my favorite place to live when we were traveling, moving around everywhere. I was just set on moving back, going to university of Texas, all that good stuff. And, um, before she proceeded in telling me that I probably wouldn't get into university of Texas, she also told me that a white boy and me are in the same room. The white guy is going to get chose because I'm black. And that if I don't work harder, then I'm not going to get into any school that I wanted to get into if I was ever up against a white candidate and that I'd always be up against a white candidate. And was candidate. this a white or black counselor? This was a white counselor. Yeah. And, you know, I understand what she's saying. I understand. There's probably some truth uh, yeah. to that in certain But in the way that she said it was just like she really fucked up my 
I guess, ego and just like my value as like a black woman. I was like, wow, well, damn. Instead, I really am being judged. Right. And, and instead of her phrasing it as, you know, sadly, there is still racism yeah. and it's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was yeah. literally, no, you're probably not going to get into that, especially mm. if there's a white guy going up against it, too. And I was like, oh, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Let's uh, do a couple of fears and loves before okay. before we wrap up. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, to share? I don't think so. Okay. Not on the top of my head. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, when I talk about issues that I have no personal experience with, I sound like a pompous uh, white guy man- <laughs> mansplaining. <laughs> Why do you feel like that? It's a fear. Oh. It's a fear that I have. Oh, okay. Because one of my deepest fears is that I'm a certain way that is not good, mm. and I can't see it, but everybody else can. Mm. And people are gossiping about what, whatever you know that bad is. attribute it is that I mm. have, that it's just kind of pathetic. That, mm. oh, God, can't he see that? That he's just, you know, a, a, a windbag, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever it is. It's that... F- Feeling that I have a blind side that yeah. that I can't see—that's really ugly. Yeah, I think I have a fear that no one will truly accept the authentic me, and that I'll be honestly probably die a asexual person who loves God, and that's a genuine that's fear. A, that's that's heavy, man. <laughs> that's heavy, and not that being uh, asexual is a bad thing. Um, if yeah. if that's your choice. No, I think it'll be more, I, I, I have a fear that it's not going to be a choice. It's going to just be that, I think it's, it's like a, a twin fear where like it's the fear of pretty much not ever truly being loved a hundred percent. Loved emotionally or physically. Or physically. And also a fear of just not being enough. Yeah. In the long run. Years ago, I had a, a mentor in one of my support groups. Ha, ha, she had me every morning when I would pray say, I have enough. I do enough. Mm-hmm. I am enough. I love you, Paul. And it Aww. took me about six months to a year of saying that every morning when I got to the point that I thought, eh, that might be true. <laughs> I don't feel like an idiot for saying this. It yeah. felt so, so cheesy. But, I need that. I've yeah. been looking up affirmations like that to start yeah. saying to myself because I need to believe it. Yeah, and, and there are some people who would say affirmations don't work. Affirmations mm. can backfire uh, on you, what? but I think every person's different. You just got to find what works for you. Throw as yeah. many things at the wall and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. Throw the rest away. Yeah, you know. Uh, so. Wow, that was a heavy one. That was a heavy one, man. <laughs> I think that's the one that's recently been weighing on me because yeah. I'm just like, where is my twin flame soul partner? Well, and I, first of all, you're fucking 22. <laughs> so. I need him already. Yes. But I guess I also need me 100% first. I was just going to say, it, if, if we don't 
have a sense of authenticity and some degree of self-love for ourselves, mm -hmm. even if somebody else does love us, it's going to be really hard for that connection to be healthy yeah. if we can't also completely be, be love ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so in my opinion, you know, you're taking care of the first step mm -hmm. and turn the rest over to God. Yeah. Just be you and I think the universe can be pretty awesome mm -hmm. when we make friends with what is and mm -hmm. let go of what we can't control. Right. Easier said That's than good. done. It is. Yeah. Uh, let's do one more fear and then we'll do a couple of loves. Okay. I love a great movie poster that captures... I'm thinking, like, in particular, uh, I have a, a movie poster in my living room of a Stanley Kubrick movie uh, called, uh, why am I blanking on the, uh, <laughs> on the name of, um, Dr. Strangelove, How I uh, mm. Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. And it's such a great movie, has held up over the years, and when I was trying to find things to hang on my wall. I was browsing around on the internet and I came across that one and it just, um, I don't know. There's just something about a good movie poster that it <laughs> gets you it, going. <laughs> it, it, yeah. You, you almost re-experience that moment, even mm -hmm. though it's just a picture yeah. of something. And I think there's also kind of an egoistic thing about, I want other people to know that this is the kind of thing I like mm -hmm. and I'm, Proud, yeah. It's almost like your your room is wearing a, a nice piece of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> and you like that? Yeah. I love switching on love real quick. I love 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 trees, <laughs> like mm -hmm. trees, all kinds of trees, tall trees, short trees. But my favorite is just like the really bushy ones that just look super climbable. Mm. I think like in another life that I planted a bunch of trees and just every life I'd come back and just keep planting more and more and more. Sometimes I think I'm mother nature, <laughs> but that's a whole hippie story. But trees just give me a whole sense of peace and yeah. just. Do you consider calmness. yourself a hippie? Um, I think I'm turning into one, Yeah, but yeah, I think I am turning into one. There, there's a, um, I find that when I'm at peace, and even if there's some depression going on, um, that there's something about nature yes. that, I don't know, it brings something into my life that, that I can't mm. quite put into words. I think it's why I love woodworking is because mm. I live in this big city and I can't get out yeah. to, to nature very easily, but mm -hmm. working on a big board that it yeah. still has the rough edges or you can see the tree bark mm -hmm. it feels like i'm bringing a, a tree to me and i get to see the beauty and the detail yes. uh, because each board is unique its mm -hmm. grain pattern is unique it's uh, the qualities of that species of the wood smell. is the smell it's yeah. the best it's crazy it's the best yeah. i love nature nature i've been outside more than i've ever been my entire life <laughs> since i've been here because Nature has been my therapy, just like listening to the wind and breathing, just 
smiling at trees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, that sounds really hippie. <laughs> Let's do one more love each. Oh, you know what? Mm. I love David Dobrik. I heard you're a David Dobrik fan. No, 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 David. that wasn't you. That wasn't you. I was going to say, wow, I'm a that fan was, of his. Um, I don't know who the fuck he is. That was another guest that was on the podcast. Yeah. But I love him because he, um, I start, he's a YouTuber. He's uh -huh. an influencer. And he just, it, it's just like videos of him and his friends just doing stupid shit. Just oh, I living love stuff like, like that. Like yeah. Jackass is one of my yeah, favorite like series. Jackass. Yeah, like Jackass. I laugh so hard because it reminds me of how I used to be with my friends when we were young. Right. We would just do stupid shit mm -hmm. even if we, we were getting hurt doing it just right. because we, we would laugh so hard. Exactly. And that's all he does. And it really kind of hit, watching his videos sparked my creative side again. Yeah. And that's why I love him because it, it reminded me like you when you're creating something that you love, like you're supposed to be having fun when you're doing stuff like you're supposed to be having fun and it's not that hard. You're he's literally hanging out with his friends recording videos. And I was just in South Carolina, like, Oh my gosh, I could be doing this stupid shit and having fun. And so, yeah, I love David Dobrik for doing that. That's, That's a awesome. great one. That's mm -hmm. a great one. Uh, I love when I put a ton of effort into learning how to do a technique or mm. maybe sharpening a tool, a woodworking tool. And then I finally get it right. And I take like the hand plane over to a board and mm -hmm. just like this thin ribbon of shaving, it comes off oh. it and I and just pull it up and, and look at it and just feeling it's like a physical representation that I can learn yeah. that I can learn and that I can be, um, I can stick with something mm -hmm. and not give up, even if it's difficult and frustrating. Wow. And uh, I had that happen just uh, the other night. There's this thing called a card scraper that you use in, in mm -hmm. woodworking that um, I, I, won't, I won't bore you with all the details of it, but it's a square <laughs> piece of, of metal. And you have to try to get the edges of it to just get like this little curl the sharp curl on it and you got to go through all these steps to get it to do that but mm -hmm. then when you do if you drag it along a wood these curls of shaving and it leaves this silky smooth wow. finish uh behind it and i had been trying for two years to to do this on mm -hmm. and off and i finally figured it out wow how to how to do it after watching a bunch of youtube videos <laughs> and Taylor, who's who's staying with me, mm -hmm. I, I like ran and yelled, and I was like, "You got to come see this! You got to come see this!" <laughs> that sounds so relaxing to it's that so cool. Work. Yeah, it's so cool. Did so. you make this? I did make this table. In really? That table. Yeah, this oh was the goodness. tree in my old front yard. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah. Thanks. That's so neat. Thanks. Um, anything you want to add before we uh, wrap up? Just thank you for having me and letting me open up. Yeah. I love talking about my traumas <laughs> now that I'm overcoming them. Uh, it, it was great talking to you and getting you. A, a peek into your life. Thanks. Thanks, Mahogany. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to her. That, uh, what a sweet soul. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. 
When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine, from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Let's dive into some surveys. This is uh, from the Back in Time survey filled out by Sarah. And she writes, uh, I would go back to when I was eight years old. And I wish I could tell myself, Sarah, your mom is mentally ill. She still loves you, but she has bipolar, among other things, and it has nothing to do with you. She gave you bipolar disorder, and your dad gave you debilitating anxiety. You are not fucked up. Start caring about yourself. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Sarah. Uh... I haven't read from this survey in a while. Uh, this is one of our less filled out surveys. It's uh, called the Babysitter Survey. But I decided to read a few on the podcast today. This one is filled out by a guy who's straight in his 20s, raised in a stable and safe environment. He refers to himself as Paul. I like when when your voice sometimes seems like you're about to cry on air. And and it's all, there's no spaces in there. It took me about uh, a minute to figure out what what that actually says. Um, he, when he was being babysat, he felt a little something sexual. He writes, uh, nothing sexual in action, but my female babysitter, who is around 16 or 17, told my sister and I what porn was. My sister was seven and I was eight. As soon as I heard the word, I found it peculiar. It sounded like corn, but I understood it to be so different than what I knew corn to be. She never showed us visually or literally, but I remember her saying that people get naked and have sex on a camera. Did you ever tell anyone? Uh, did you think it was normal? Do you believe it had any effect on you? 
She was almost surprised that I had never heard of porn. It made me feel like I should have known, you know, as an eight-year-old boy. But in a way, yes, I feel like it had an effect on me. I didn't see porn on a screen until I was 13, five years after knowing that it existed. Even at that time, I was in a living, uh, even at that time, I was in a living room with two 15-year-old girls and my 14-year-old neighbor. I found their tolerance for it surprising. I felt extremely guilty for lots of reasons. I walked home. Anyway, I watch a lot of porn now, and sometimes I feel very guilty, but sometimes I convince myself that as long as I don't get too deeply involved with the feelings associated with what happens to me while watching porn, I can maintain a subtle peace about it. And I think that's such an important clarification to make because, um, you know, it is it is definitely a divisive topic. There's a lot of people that feel that any type of pornography is damaging and demeaning. And then there are other people who are like, hey, you know, uh, it's all good. Anything's good, uh, you know, as long as somebody's not being hurt in it. And of course, you know, there's disagreements about what, what causes hurt. Uh, but I'm not going to get into to, to all that. What I wanted to say uh, is that the quite if you're wondering, am I damaging myself? Am I? Is this a bad thing that I'm doing? Is this harming my life? Ask yourself. You know, am I? Am I canceling appointments for this? Am I draining energy that? You know, I could be sharing with my partner. Am I, you know, wasting afternoons uh, looking at? Am I using it to escape my life rather than to, you know, have a, a brief release? What feelings come up remembering? I feel slightly taken advantage of, but not in, a, in an extreme sense. For example... If I could move people around like pawn pieces, I would not have placed that babysitter near me and my sister ever. Do you feel any damage was done? Uh, it was innocent and natural or somewhere in between. Uh, natural more than innocent. Uh, has this influenced how you view your children being babysat? Hmm, great question. I'm not a parent, but if I were one, I would choose someone I actually knew, not someone I thought would be a solid candidate via conference, via convenience, or living across the street. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. This is from the Fears survey filled out uh, by a non-binary person who refers to themselves as Soup. Uh, Soup is 16, and they write, I'm scared that because I am trans, that for the rest of my life I won't feel safe around cis people because I won't know if they are violently, violently transphobic and would attack me or if they would be kind and understanding. I cannot, cannot imagine what that has got to be like. Oh. I'm scared that the fear of not fitting in is going to affect my future relationships with people and how I interact with the world. I'm scared to talk about my suicidal ideation with my therapist or friends because I don't want the option of dying to be taken away if things get worse and I need a quick way out. 
I'm scared that if my option to kill myself is taken away, that I will continue suffering for the rest of my life and that I will never find peace and comfort. I'm scared that I'm going to turn out like my parents and be emotionally distant to people I love. I'm scared that me talking to my friends about my problems is causing them to want to kill themselves slash self-harm or that it's making them think about it more. I'm scared that I'll stop being myself and give up to be more comfortable around others and to feel safer and more included. I'm not sure if I understood that. I'm scared that I'll stop being myself and give up to be more comfortable. Oh, I see. Give up being yourself to feel more included. Man, those are deep. Those are deep. And thank you for sharing those. You sound like a really, really sensitive, uh, sweet kid. And it's, it's painful reading that stuff because, God, you got so much on your plate. And if I had any advice to, to give you, it would be just try to be in the moment and put away the crystal ball and try to predict what the future is going to be. As scary as that is, um, just try to bring it to the, to the here and now. Meditation might be a good thing, maybe a support group, uh, especially a support group of trans folks. That might be something. I know there are therapists that that specialize in uh, helping trans people, um, but hang in there, man. Hang in there. I'm sending you a, a digital hug. This is from the Happy Moment survey filled out by Leslie, and she writes, I, uh, Before I adopted my rescue dog, many of my friends warned me that it might take some time before she fully trusted me. But the moment I brought her into my condo, she claimed it as her home. The next day, I had a friend over, and my dog followed me around everywhere I went. When I stopped, she would sit and look up at me, and when I sat down, she'd jump up next to me and rest her head on my leg. My friend asked if I had had her for a few months. It had been less than 24 hours. Now it's been three years and I love her more than ever, but I always look back on that first week as one of the happiest times in my life. Boy, do I get that one. I'd say almost every day I I have the experience of petting Gracie uh, or and Gracie for the, those of you that aren't regular listeners Gracie is a stray that came into my life about two three years ago and uh, uh, she just brings me so much joy and comfort probably even more comfort than joy but she, she does make me laugh almost every day and if you heard the way that I talked to her you would have me committed this is from the babysitter survey filled out by uh, a woman who is straight and in her 20s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, she calls herself Mel Bear. And uh, she writes, when I was four years old, my family and I went to a prayer meeting in someone's house. The host's oldest daughter was taking care of the younger children so the adults can pray and have their meeting. Their daughter sexually assaulted me. She began stroking my hair and said to me, We are going to play house. You're going to be the daddy and I'm going to be the mommy. You can't tell your mommy we play like this because it's a secret. She made me touch her. She touched me. 
I ran out of the bedroom and ran to my mom. I told her I didn't want to play with her. She told me that she was busy and I needed to go play with my sisters and let the adults do what they were doing. She walked me back to the bedroom. The girl continued touching me. I told her to stop because I didn't like it as I tried to walk away. She grabbed my arm, pulled me back to her, overpowered me, threw me on the bed, continued touching me and laying on top of me as she forced her breasts into my mouth so I wouldn't make a sound. Oh my God. Did you ever tell anyone? Did you think it was normal? Do you believe it's had any effect on you? I did not speak about it until I was 19 years old. I remember telling my mom, and all she said was, why didn't you tell me? There were several attacks from different men and this woman, and it has all affected me my whole life. I remember being six years old at a splash pad with my sisters. They were in their bathing suits running around as I stood on the grass watching them thinking, they're so free. She stole my innocence, and I hate my body. I don't want anyone to see it, as my mom was telling me to take off my shirt and shorts to wear my bathing suit and go into the sprinklers. Remembering these things, what feelings come up? I'm so sad, angry, bitter, and resentful. I'm 29 years old, and I've lived with this abuse weighing heavy on my heart. I've always been overweight because I cannot stand the idea of anyone sexualizing my body or taking advantage of me again. It's like my weight is my body suit of protection and strength. I'm fucked beyond repair, and I know I need therapy, but it scares me. Do you feel any damage was done? It was innocent and natural or somewhere in between. Damage beyond repair. It makes me think that a child abusing a child is a learned behavior. I hate the thought of her abusing me because her father was abusing her. Because abuse is so cyclical and how do we end these cycles if it's all we know? It's fucked up. This woman died when she was 35 years old. She had a heart attack. When my mother told me, she asked how I felt. I began to cry and I said, I don't feel anything. I'm just angry. I couldn't tell her how she fucked up my self-image, but I believe she got her karma. If you're a parent, has your experience influenced how you view your children being babysat? I'm afraid of being a mother because I would not bear the thought of bringing children into this world and the possibility of someone hurting them or abusing them is beyond my control and I would do everything in my power to kill that person. Thank you for for sharing all of that. That that is that is some intense, intense stuff. And I think it would, even though therapy is is scary, it is so much better than trying to live the rest of your life holding that stuff in. It's. You know, there's a, there's a saying in uh, support groups that you're only as sick as your secrets, and I, I agree with that. I was ta- talking with some support group friends the other night. We were doing a, a Zoom meeting, and they were the question was, what is your current battle, if any? And I think 
my biggest battle, certainly in the last <laughs> decade or so, is my st- struggle to not let my lack of productivity affect how I feel about myself. I don't like the word lazy. I would never use it to describe someone else, or I would like to think that I wouldn't. Excuse me. But I use the word against myself. And yet I know that it's really about inspiration because when I'm inspired, I'll go in the wood shop, I'll you know, work for six hours straight making a piece of furniture or working on a piece of music. But there are so many days when I feel like I don't get anything done. And it's it. I know you guys relate to that feeling. And I just, I, I had this image of my mind, in my mind, like my life is is an old tired horse and my mind is a sadistic jockey that just keeps whipping it just wants it to go faster than it it can possibly go so do i work harder or do i cut myself some slack i don't know because then I catastrophize and I imagine myself running out of money in the future and eating cat food. You know, one of the fancier ones, but what is there anybody that feels like they're striking a good balance between work and play? Is that something we all struggle with? That would be the one of the nice things about knowing the day that you're going to die. Because you, you could completely get your budget dialed in. You would know exactly when to apply for 15 credit cards. <laughs> Go to a vacation in one of those huts on stilts in the South Pacific. That is definitely on my bucket list. But then I think if you knew the day you were going to die, you would spend every day until then obsessing about how you're going to die and wanting to know that. How, how would that feel the day before you die or even the day of knowing this is your day? And imagine like you weren't, you weren't even feeling ill. You would definitely not go outside. What would it be like if it's two minutes to midnight you would probably die of that's pro, you would die of heart attack. That's how it would happen because you would be freaking out. You might as well hear the footsteps of the Grim Reaper coming down the the hallway. Holy fuck! I freaked myself out. I hope, I hope that was all comforting to you. This is uh, from the babysitter survey filled out by, and this one's a bit intense. Uh, they. The name they use is just two question marks. Um, and this is uh, the the woman who filled this out, a young woman. She's 15. And uh, she writes, I felt a nine-year-old's penis. He got hard, and I showed him how to put it inside my vagina. He had an orgasm, but he didn't ejaculate any semen. I never told anyone, and no one found out. Um, 
I'm not going to read uh, any more of the graphic stuff about that because uh, I mean even reading this because she's she's 15 I I I debated reading this but I think it's important sometimes to just shine a light on all the stuff that we talk about on this podcast do you feel any damage was done he liked it and wanted to do it again the next time I was his babysitter and if you are listening, I, I urge you to get help. And even though he wants to do it again, he doesn't understand the damage that is that is being done to his psyche. Our, our bodies and our souls can experience two completely different things at the same time. And... I don't know if you've experienced sexual trauma. It sounds like you probably have. I would really, really urge you to talk to someone about that. Because what you are doing is hurting other people. And I don't say that to shame you. Um, Wow, that was a hard one to read. Let's get to something positive. Uh, this is from the Love Survey, and this is filled out by Today is a Good Day. And they write, I love my ragdoll cat sleeping on the pillow next to me every night and waking up to him every morning. I live alone, and he is a true friend and companion. I love when my cat greets me at the front door when I've just been out for one minute putting out the rubbish or when he cries continuously at the door if he hears me chatting to my neighbor. He just can't be left out. I love the feeling of peace I get after a therapy session when I just feel heard and that someone gets me and I've rinsed out my brain for another week with all the things that were bothering me. I love seeing a pile of books next to my bed, and even if I don't read them, it's such a comfort to know I can. I love laughing about stupid, funny animal videos and then sending it to a friend who equally laughs and sets me off laughing again. I love waking up knowing I can drink at least four coffees before it's evening and I have to stop drinking coffee again, but for now, the coffee is on. I love after loads of rainy days getting a good dry day where I can walk into town or just know I have the option of walking somewhere. I love the start of spring and noticing little winds like, oh, last time I was here doing this, it was dark, and today it's still light. Win. I love when I share something I've learned in a recovery support group to a non-addict friend, and they say, wow, that's so great. That's so wise, etc. And I can tell them I can't take credit because I just learned it from AA or a sponsor, etc. But knowing this stuff really works and everyone can benefit from it. I love those days when my food is in its place. I've juiced and done some yoga, maybe read a book and just feel like I've smashed self-care. I assume smash means like uh, done well. Uh, knowing that it might not be the same tomorrow, but for today, I'm doing well. I love finding that there is a new drama or series on TV that I haven't watched or didn't know about 
and boom, the whole series is available. And just that feeling that the rest of the afternoon or evening can be spent in that comfort cloud of checking out, but in a healthy, non-damaging way. Ah, that's such a good one. And uh, finally, I love finding a podcast with a particular guest I relate to and then finding them or their website online and discovering a whole world of things I didn't know about that could potentially help me. And then in parentheses, this happens a lot with a mental illness happy hour. Yay. Thank you for those. That, uh, that means a lot to me. I'm so glad I got off my ass, speaking of beating myself up, and set up the love survey because it's, it's, um, it helps me to read those, the catastrophizing part of my brain has a six pack. It gets so much exercise. Oh my God. It's so nice to just remember that there's love and peace and beauty in the world and uh, if you're out there and you're struggling, <laughs> I, I might I might not be the best example of it uh, today, but we can get better. We can get better, and it's so important to ask for for help and to open up to someone. Let that steam out. And if you're struggling, you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely